Wednesday, January 25th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Tim Hansen, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Gentlemen, good to see you. Howdy. Hey. Uh, we've got two big stories today. We've got Apple and Google. We're going to start with Apple. Wait, I read the State of the Union for nothing? We can touch on the State of the <laughs> no, Union no, real quickly fine. if you want. No, no, it's fine. Let's, let, you know, let's spend 60 seconds on the State of the Union. In, from an investing standpoint, what, what was the takeaway as an investor? Was there something the president said where you thought, wow, that, that might be a, a better opportunity in that industry? Well, I guess clean energy, maybe. I mean, clean energy is a really hard sector to, to, to wrap one's mind around just because it's not really economical or profitable now, generally With speaking. With natural gas at two bucks and change. Right. And and yet, you know, China has showed if you throw enough subsidies at something, you can make a big good business for a while. I mean, long-term investors, maybe like us, aren't going aren't gonna to play that game. But if, you know, if the federal government gets really intrigued by subsidizing or, or spending on solar projects or really going after natural gas, that would certainly have ramifications for a, a whole host of uh, companies in the United States, and obviously that's one of the goals as well, is not just to have clean energy, but also to create domestic jobs, because you can't you can't sort of outsource the building of you know, solar fields when they have to be built wherever they're going to build them. Joe, what do you think? What stood out for you? Offshore drilling? There- well, I thought the natural gas thing was bullish. I mean, natural gas is near a 10-year low, and to have the president come out and be extremely supportive of developing that infrastructure. Um, but did have some negative comments about fracking. He did, which but I, I thought you know, they were kind of There's an interesting soft. interplay there, yeah. I think they were – initially I was like, oh, this could be bad. But then it basically was like, we're going to force a little more disclosure, but we're still going to be behind this because it's such a big deal. I, I also think the point about banks – was interesting. What was the point about banks? He basically For someone said, like me who neither watched the speech nor <laughs> read it. He basically said, we will not bail out banks again, very in a very literal way. So, you know, I don't think that necessarily changes whether or not you own Citigroup today, which you probably shouldn't own. But broadly speaking, he, you know, drew a line in the sand on that. And should we have another crisis, it'll be very interesting to see whether he sticks to his guns on that. All right, let's move over to Apple. Record quarter for Apple. Uh, guys, here's a few of the numbers. Revenue, $46 billion in the quarter. Profit of $13 billion. Apple sold more than 37 million iPhones, 15 million iPads, and 5 million Macs. Apple now has more than $97 billion in cash on hand. And not surprisingly, Tim, shares of Apple up more than 6% this morning. Obviously, there are a lot Which of... Which seems low in some ways. Well, I mean, those are big, big numbers that just crushed... Ex- I mean, those were expectations that Apple had fed people to right. promote for them, and then they went out and crushed them, which is, you know, That's one of the what, older tricks in the book. And, and and one they have done quite well at. Absolutely. You know, hook, line, and sinker. You know, they're big numbers. I've been skeptical of, of Apple in the past, and, and, you know, and I still think in terms of you know, the growth that's priced in, even though on a multiple basis, Apple certainly doesn't look expensive. You're getting to the point where they've got to sell an Apple product to like everyone in the world who can afford one, which is, you know, which is hard to do. Um, you know, but those are huge numbers. They've got a great balance sheet, you know, and, and for Tim Cook, I mean, he's got to be loving life right now because, you know, obviously living in the shadow of a of, of a giant needed to really come out with, with a lot of business momentum to sort mm-hmm. of carry through the next development cycle and, 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 and demonstrate real leadership of a company that's been hugely successful. If you have a shortfall sort of in your first um, quarter as the operator, it's going to look really bad, which may be why they fed such low numbers to all the analysts who then dutifully reported them. Nah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, huge numbers. Apple's, uh, you know, d- doing great. 
Um, now, you know, the risk is always is going to be what's the next product and how much penetration can they get? And what is a competitive space with Android um, in an increasingly competitive space in the tablet space? Joe, were there any surprises uh, in Apple's quarter? And if not, what what's your big takeaway? What's your headline for them? I can't say I'm too surprised that they blew the lights out again. They do have a record of giving completely low-balled estimates and then going out and topping them. I mean, the numbers were absolutely eye-popping. I do think the really interesting question here at this point is what happens with the cash. And, you know, people have been asking this and beating the drum louder over the past, you know, few quarters as the cash pile has just grown. But now it's reached a point where it's bigger than most of the companies in the S&P 500. It's bigger than most countries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, $97 billion, you know, the market cap of Yahoo. I mean, they could almost buy Yahoo five times over. So, And that's just cash they have in the bank. That's remarkable. Uh, Oppenheimer, Apple CFO, did say that they are actively ta- uh, talking with the board of directors about what to do with that cash. So let's Let's spend a minute or two on that. Uh, there's always the talk of should they pay an ongoing dividend, a one-time dividend, and then there's the question of, of acquisition. If they are to go to the acquisition route, and they haven't really done that in any big splashy way when you look at some of their competitors like Google and Microsoft, the way that they've acquired companies and the money that they've spent. But as you said, Joe, they've got $97 billion in cash now. If they have to go out and buy something, even if they just spend 10% of that cash, what makes the most sense? Tim? Well, I mean, if they've got, they've got devices now in a lot of people's hands. And I, I, you know, I think the next step for the company, obviously, they're going to need to spend some money on R&D. And maybe there's a fold-in acquisition they do there if they see something out there. But I think in terms of making a big sort of swooping move, I think it's going after content. And I've, I've said this before on, on, on the podcast, which is sports. You know, make a deal for like an exclusive NFL game every week, or, or you know, you know something an NBA game of the week on Apple TV, or that you can only stream through the iPad, and really go after those people like ESPN, um, you know, you know, which is a, a, a Disney subsidiary, or you know, some of the movie channels. In, in, in terms of having your own unique must-have content, you know, maybe you know the Big East deal with uh, ESPN is expiring. Go out and get the Big East game of the week or something like that, and only stream it through Apple TV or, or the iPad. That might catch the eye of regulators at that point, but I think that's the next step for the company to really just become a dominant content deliverer, which is not a word, <laughs> and you know, content provider, and 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 have the the devices. Um, Joe, you think the same thing? Maybe a content deal? One of the names that gets uh, tossed around, that has been tossed, uh, tossed around this morning, um, is a company like Red Hat, um, you know, an application software company. Obviously, Apple can afford to make you know, just about any purchase they want right about now. But what do you think makes the most sense for them? I think an interesting one could be similar to what Google did with Motorola, and it's swoop in on Kodak out of bankruptcy and basically buy it for the patents. So Kodak has about a 1,000 patents related to digital photography. Obviously, that's a big part of the iPhone and the iPhone ecosystem. It'd be nice fodder in the canon when they're dealing with trying to muscle around Android manufacturers and push Android away. I think they could probably get it on the cheap, and it would just be a little bit more ammo to go back and, you know, you push on an Android manufacturer and say, look, if you're going to be pushing out a phone with these patents that we own, we want you know, five, ten bucks for the device, and they're ultimately working towards that. But just having those incremental patents would definitely help the case. What's the biggest threat that this company faces right now? It seems like they're just crushing any and all competition. Well, right, I think that's it. I think it's complacency. You know, you're, yep. you, you live in a, in, and work in a business where 
you know, development cycles are extraordinarily rapid. I mean, you're lucky to have a product that's hung out for five years, you know, as a, the top-notch product in the in, in the mobile space, for example. I mean, right. they've got to innovate something new. And when you're sitting on $97 billion in cash and a huge track record for success, it's tough to stay hungry, so to speak, and, and get people down there doing, especially when you've got new leadership, to get people down there innovating the next big thing, especially when there's so many people in Silicon Valley and elsewhere around the world looking to do the exact same thing. Uh, Tim Cook, the CEO on the conference call, talked about China, the the potential that Apple has there. Tim, we've talked before that you know you, you've made the point that pretty much every company that does business in China talks about what a, a great growth opportunity it represents. How serious is that? How legitimate is that growth opportunity for Apple? Well, I mean, you know, it's a huge market, huge for mobile phones, huge for tablets. You know, my my question about Apple in China, I said earlier, you know, Apple stocks potentially pricing in an Apple device in the hands of everyone who can afford one. You know, in China, there's a big discrepancy between the number of people who can afford one and the number of people who can't. You know, the average GDP per per capita right now is about thirty five hundred dollars. You know, you put in the who's going to spend you know thirty three to forty percent of their income on a tablet computer when it's unsubsidized. You know that you know that's the other interesting thing for Apple as they move into emerging markets is you don't find the same um, cell phone mobile device subsidies that you do here, where you go buy an iPhone for I don't know. 100, 140 bucks because the carrier is paying a lot of the cost. Uh, that doesn't happen in other markets. So I think those are challenges for them to overcome. You know, the big numbers look alluring and they got to point to an opportunity somewhere. And that's clearly it. But when you start thinking about Apple devices in India and China, I think affordability becomes a real issue. Um, Joe, when you look at the stock, and uh, as of this taping, I believe the stock has has now propelled Apple that it is once again in the lead. It has passed ExxonMobil as the uh, largest public company in the world. So uh, naturally, it's a great time to buy back stock. <laughs> well, I mean, when you look at the valuation, is this a stock that is overvalued? Is it fairly valued? No. I mean, sarcasm aside, I think, like Tim said, when you look at it on a multiple basis, Apple does look cheap. But when you kind of put on your common sense hat and say, look, this is a consumer electronics company that has the biggest market value of any public company, that just does not connect for me in a logical way. And so I still... I would pass on Apple, but I've been wrong about Apple all the way up. So I'll just throw my own opinion under the bus there. Except you worship the product, so you got that right. <laughs> I do. Love the product. Uh, Tim, when we were doing uh, some podcasts at the end of the year and looking ahead to 2012, one of the things that you said... Oh. I, I'm sorry to revisit this, I but... Didn't know, uh, I didn't know we were allowed to go back and find things you said in the past. I, I, Accountability. I, yeah, I'm I not be- a fan. I believe we did couch it as a reckless prediction for 2012, but your reckless prediction was that, comparatively speaking, Apple was not going to have a great year. Look, look. <laughs> these are fourth quarter 2011 <laughs> results. Can I say that? We don't know yet what Apple has done in 2012, so okay. I, I think it's too early to judge the merits of that. They had a great 2011. I knew that when I made that reckless and, prediction. And the first three weeks of 2012. I still think, hey, look, but these results didn't go through the first three weeks of okay. 2012. These are 2011 results. I will stand by the fact that, I mean, they're rolling over some extraordinarily. <coughs> I mean, look, when they get around to the rolling over the, the Q4 2012 results, right? Yep. This is going to be a tough comp. I mean, it's going to be a tough, tough comp. They're off to a good start. They finished 2011 strong. We still got a long way to go in 2012. I, again, I'm not trying to blindside you. We will have you back on throughout the I'm year. Just, but though that was a 2012 prediction, and now you're measuring my 2012 <laughs> prediction with 2011 results? 
Let's move on to Google. Google announced on Tuesday that it's changing its privacy policy. Starting March 1st, Google will track users across almost all of its sites, including YouTube, Gmail, and its search engine. Consumers will not be able to opt out. Um, Joe, from a business rationale standpoint, why are they making this move? We'll get to the privacy stuff in a second, but what's the business rationale for this? From a pure business standpoint, this makes great sense because Google has so much data on you as a user from your search history, from Gmail, from YouTube, and they've kept these- Chrome. Oh, Chrome. Huge one. And they've kept Android. Google Plus. (laughs) Over 90 million people now on Google Plus. That's cold-hearted. And I'm I'm the only one there. But no, uh, yeah, so they've kept all- this great information separately previously, and they've kind of respected, uh, a lot of people would say anonymity here, just keeping them separate. But in reality, you know, they've done this for a long time, but Facebook has ultimately pressured these guys to start using more data and putting it together in a way that they can wring more money out of. And so ultimately what that means is, let's say I go to YouTube and I get an ad served up on a video before It would just be serving me an ad based on the video I'm looking at, previous searches on YouTube. But now, in theory, they could go and take information from previous Google searches to better inform an ad that I would be interested in. So as a result, I'm more likely to click that ad. Advertisers are more likely to pay more money for that ad because there are higher clicks. So from a business standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. Socially speaking, you know, it's definitely a concern on the big brother end. And I know Tim is not a big fan of... Google's overarching big brother. Well, I mean, from from the business side, I mean, if you listen to the last Google conference call, every question was about cost per click, and it was analysts were concerned that cost per click was declining. One of the reasons that cost per click is declining doesn't have anything to do with Google sort of losing pricing power in its main channels, but it's just the fact that mobile search is growing as a percentage of the pie, and and click-throughs on mobile search are lower just because it's sort of a hassle you know, you don't you don't follow through on your phone sure. as much as you do on the computer, which is maybe faster, easier to navigate, that sort of thing. If for some, somehow they can tie together all that data from all the massive number of mobile searches taking place and then feed that data into a higher cost-per-click medium, all of a sudden, you know, that's a really powerful um, uh, dynamic that would allow them to maybe – just completely blow out the the, the cost per click number on the on the you know on the computer versus the mobile device. So you know it's a way it's a way for them to really start moving some of the metrics that they're being judged by. And yet, from an image standpoint, I, it can't be a coincidence that they announced this privacy switch late yesterday in the wake of Apple's earnings and heading into the president's State of the Union address. Um, you saying they're trying to bury this? Well. I, as a nah. as a longtime resident of the D.C. area, I know that when the president gives a State of the Union address, the next day on the front page of the Washington Post, the top, you know, above the fold is basically the president's speech. That's it. There's usually a huge photo of the House chamber, and the everything above the fold is about the president's State of the Union address. And it's been that way for most of the past 20 years. This morning, I pick up the Washington Post, and it's mostly that, and the only other story above the fold is Google changing its privacy policy? Um, I mean, what kind of pushback are they going to get on this? Well, I'm sure that you know right now they're being investigated uh, by pretty much everyone, but Justice Department in terms of you know whether they are playing too hard. I guess right now it's kind of vague what they're actually being investigated for. I will say, as a shareholder, I like that they're taking the strategy of 
it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission because they need to. And when you look at their biggest competition, which I would say is Facebook and not Bing, that's exactly how Facebook's playing. And in a world where all this stuff is changing so quickly, they need to be aggressive. Well, let's talk about the competition for a moment, whether it's Facebook or Microsoft's Bing or, you know, even though they're they're not an overly strong competitor, Yahoo does have a, a healthy amount of the search market, not as healthy as others. Um, what are you thinking if you're one of those competitors as you watch this? Are you, you know, calling friends of yours at the Justice Department, egging them on to investigate Google? Well, that's probably or? your best defense at this point. You know, but, you know, Google's out, I mean, this looks bad at the outset, but Google's, you know, defense for this is if they deliver a really superior customer experience where people love right. the search results they're getting. And then at the end of the day, you might not worry about your privacy because, wow, I'm getting this really awesome customized experience, which is probably what Larry Page is hoping for yeah. with this whole search of social strategy. And then, you know, if nobody complains about it, maybe the Justice Department doesn't get, you know, fired up to go look at anything just because people are happy. The thing about search engines is market share matters because the more data that flows through the search engine, the smarter it gets and the better it delivers a good customer experience. It's I mean it's you sharpen your saw and the sharper you can make your saw, the better, you know, the better you are at cutting stuff, the better business you are. And in Google's case, you know, they do themselves a disservice by keeping all these things hived off. Throw them all together and you've got a really substantial competitor where you know, if they can deliver a great result, consumers might not mind that much. So, yeah, if you're a competitor, you want to start calling people's attention to this before the consumer can decide if they like what they're getting. Yeah, and I do love the luscious irony of Microsoft probably going and complaining about, you know, hardball practices from Google, and Facebook will probably run some sort of dirty smear campaign as well. Shares of Google are down slightly over the past year. Do you think this move, if they're able to execute this with a minimum of kerfluffle, for lack of a better word, from the public, uh, do you think that this materially moves the needle for their search-related yeah, I, revenue? Yeah, I think it does over the long term. I think you'd see higher cost per click, so more money per click that uh, they get from advertisers. And you'd probably end up seeing more clicks as well. So I do think that's a real driver of value. All right, Joe Maker, Tim Hansen. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. It is a short week for us, but we will be back on Monday. Check out The Motley Fool Money Radio Show this weekend on iTunes and on radio stations across America. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time. <laughs>